Good evening. Continuing the reading in the Gospel of John, now in chapter 19. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king! So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took out his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them and 
for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he, had, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight to reflect on the work, the amazing work of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, your Son, whom you sent to save sinners. He who lived a perfect and sinless life died in our place. And tonight we pray that you draw our attention back to him. Out of the busyness of the day, draw our attention to your son Jesus Christ. And the truth of these words that he said, it is finished, paid in full, complete. Open our hearts to receive from your word, to be changed by your word, and to live in joyful obedience because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Through his name we pray to you, our Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of my old favorite movies has to do with a group of guys searching for the, the cup the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper. Some people call this the Holy Grail. And the story goes about these Nazis searching for the Holy Grail. And then another guy named Indiana Jones searching for the cup that Jesus supposedly drank from on the Last Supper with his disciples. And then there's this other sort of medieval religious group trying to also recover the Holy Grail. And the reason why all of them are searching for this cup, this holy grail, is because they believe it will give immortality, invincibility, which was really important to the Nazi general too. Invincibility. They would say it would, if anybody who drinks of the holy grail will receive eternal life, but they weren't using that phrase eternal life the way the Bible defines it. They were thinking about in terms of I'm going to be young and live forever, like I'm going to drink from the fountain of youth and I'll be invincible. Boy, wouldn't that be great for our soldiers or for our medieval religious sort of group here or Indiana Jones who just wants to do supposedly the right thing and put it in a museum. That's where it belongs. It's an often shout out. But 
this idea of eternal life that they're talking about has nothing to do with the way God defines eternal life. And the way they thought about the cup that they were searching after, the Holy Grail, is entirely different, obviously twisted just for Hollywood blockbuster effect. But what about this cup that Jesus talks about? He talks about the cup, the cup, the cup. You just heard it as Dr. Tim Detweiler read from John 18. This cup that the Father has given me, I, I cannot go outside of what he's ordained. I have to take from this cup that God has given me to drink from. Jesus talks about this cup in all the synoptic gospels. So Matthew and Mark and Luke. Listen to these words as Jesus talks about the cup. In Matthew 26, 39, he says, And he went a little way beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed. This is from the Garden of Gethsemane scene. You're familiar with this picture. And Jesus saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he in Mark 14, 36, it's recorded the same words. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Luke twenty two forty four, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then in John eighteen eleven, here's what we heard read. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. This is not what we're about. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? It's pointing to Christ's focus on perfectly fulfilling the Father's plan. According to the Father's timetable. Exactly, precisely. What's the meaning of this cup? It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor that Jesus uses describing what's to come. And it gives him deep agony. Such deep agony that he longs for it to pass him by so that he doesn't have to drink from this cup. But he says, no, but, but your will, Father. I'm here to accomplish your will. I'm submitted to your authority. But he knows the gravity of what is to come. What's in this cup? This cup that is not what Indiana Jones was looking for, but what Jesus was looking for towards. In the Old Testament, this idea of God's cup of wrath, God's cup of judgment is woven throughout the Old Testament. In Isaiah 51, in Ezekiel, and in other passages, in, uh, in Psalm 75, and in Jeremiah 25, in Habakkuk chapter 2, it talks about how God's cup of wrath or God's cup of judgment is going to be poured out on the unrighteous. In Isaiah 51 and in Jeremiah, it talks about how the unrighteous are going to be forced to drink from God's cup. And in Revelation 14, it talks about God's cup of wrath being poured out upon the unrighteous. It's judgment. God's judgment against sin, his holy, just wrath against sin, all poured out in this cup. This cup. And so when Jesus says, Father, let this cup pass from me, he's pointing specifically 
not only to his physical death on the cross. Now, that's what I assumed. On the surface, you think, it points to Jesus Christ's death, physical death, his death that involved lacerations on his back and his legs, his neck, as they whipped him, the cat of nine tails, physical suffering as they, as they pierced his forehead with these thorns, as he was ridiculed by the crowds, as they slapped him in the face, as they spit on him, as he carried his cross. One old commentator, he wrote about how back then they would hang the sign that would later be nailed to the top of the cross around the convicted's neck. Or a rope. And so there with this sign, King of the Jews, he's, he's walking along towards Golgotha with this cross and with this sign. And he's all the while under tremendous suffering, bleeding out. And then the nails pierce into his hands, into his feet, and he's saddled up on the cross. And he begins now in this tremendous suffering of physical death to suffocate under his own weight. That's what would happen if you're hung on a cross, bleeding out, lacerations all over your body. So gasping for breath, wheezing to talk. That's part of the cup, but that's not all of it. See, Jesus, the Christ, came to die in our place, but there's more than we deserve than just physical death. In Genesis 3, it talks about how Adam and Eve, they, they rebelled against God. In unbelief, they chose to believe the word of Satan, that serpent of old, as it talks about in Revelation 2. That serpent of old, who is Satan, who deceived Adam and Eve, but they willingly believed his word rather than God's word. And they shook their fists in God's face and said, we want our way not your way. And they bidden the forbidden fruit. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had told them in Genesis chapter 2, he said, if you eat of this tree, you on that day will surely die. But Satan said, you will not surely die. And so they believed Satan rather than God. And though Adam felt still strong, his body did not begin to immediately decay. He knew immediately that true death, life outside of relationship with God, had occurred. He was naked and he was ashamed. And they ran and they hid from the face of God. From his face. They didn't want God to see them. God cannot look upon sin. He's holy. He's just. He cannot look upon sin without judgment. And so they ran and they hid. And God says, where are you? Where are you? He knew where they were. Immediately, death occurred before they ever physically died. Spiritual death. Alienation. Separation. Division from that love relationship that they enjoyed. Companion. Now separation. They used to walk in the garden with God in the cool of the day. And now 
They're driven out by the one who created them. They're driven out from the garden, from Eden's oasis, separated. Now to till up the rocky ground, fend for themselves, separate from God and his holiness and his love and his mercy. But God, in his rich mercy, sent the second Adam, Jesus Christ, to take the cup, to drink it all the way to the bottom, to drink the entire cup of God's wrath, just, holy wrath, judgment against sin that we all deserved, all sinners deserve God's wrath, born under the wrath of God because in Adam all sinned, says in Romans. And so Jesus, praying about the cup that he knows he must drink, he knows that the worst part of it is not the most, the penultimate sacrifice is not being nailed to the cross and hanging there, suffocating under his own weight. It's that moment when he cries out to the Father, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? And for the first and only moment in time, when he cries out to the Father, there's silence and darkness. For the first and only moment in time, the eternal Son, somehow, in some way that we cannot fully grasp, is separated judicially from the Father so much that the Father turns his face away. One hymn writer who wrote the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, he wrote these simple words, these simple yet riveting words. How great the pain of searing loss. The great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. See, he who, be, who knew no sin, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, became sin for us and the Father, holy, righteous, just, had to turn his face from his beloved Son And the son calls out to the father, why have you forsaken me? Love with which they have known and eternally dwell in, in eternity past and to eternity future, but one moment in time, the eternal son of God died physically and spiritually so that we could have eternal Forgiveness, eternal life in him. Only the eternal son of God could provide forgiveness and eternal life for lost sinners. And so in that moment, his separation, his death, his death was the pathway to life. Christ's complete death is the only pathway to complete life. Life as it was meant to be lived. Life back in relationship with God. So Adam and Eve, it's Eden restored. 
to be brought into relationship with God. And those of you here tonight who are in Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You who are in Jesus Christ now are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, so you are in this relationship, this love relationship, because Jesus Christ took the cup. He walked all the way to Calvary's hill and hung on the cross and all the way until he cried to Telestai, as it's recorded. One word, it is finished a word that was stamped on certificates of debt, paid in full. It's done. He took the cup and he drank it all for you so that you could have life in his name. That's the cup, the cup of Jesus Christ, the cup of death. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 22. Because the cup of death, now in turn, he offers through the cup of death, the cup of salvation, the new covenant in his blood. And so now, tonight, we gather around Christ's table as the disciples gathered around the table to celebrate the Passover. We gather around the table because we are in him. And so in Luke 22, look in verse 14. It's written, When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant. What does it say? In my blood. And so, God offers a new and living way. He offers us relationship with himself through the blood of his son, the new covenant. And he offers it by his grace, but God rich in his mercy with which he loved us, offered his son Jesus Christ to die in our place. The full wrath of God, judgment, it's all paid in full. You must receive it, though. That's the gospel. And he conquered death because we know Sunday is coming. Would you bow with me in prayer as we prepare now to receive the body and the blood symbolically of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? God of all mercy and love, We thank you for this amazing plan, this amazing plan that you ordained before the foundations of the world. Your son, Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, would be slain for us, 
for our salvation as we reflect, Lord, on him, on his sacrifice tonight, we pray that you would search our hearts. There are many days when we forget about his sacrifice. We forget about the mercy. We forget about how he drank the cup completely to satisfy, to be the propitiation for our sins, to fully satisfy your just judgment, wrath on sin. And instead, we forget about that and we, we choose to sin. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting. We want to remember. Remember this night. That more than 2,000 years ago, on a Friday, your son gave his life in death so that we could have life in him. Through Christ our Lord.